wow, this is fun. <laughs> it's so good. I, I look at you and I, 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 I just sort of go, where has the time Wow. It's great to see you. It's more than fabulous. It's great to, to be see home. You. My son, my <laughs> musical son, Jeremy Harding, welcome back home to CKUT. Thank you so much, Pat. What do you think about the place? You only saw very little of it, but what is your what are your memories of CKUT? My memories of CKUT are bundled with my entire memories of Montreal. So for me, it's one lavish experience of. A coming of age of sorts, being independent, being on my own, living in a different city with a new culture, um, ingratiating myself into the city and into the culture here and becoming a part of the, the clubbing community, the college community, and just the overall West Indian community here as well. So for me, CKOT was the, the anchor point, which had me part McGill, yeah. part West Indian community, and the doorway into the you know the street culture and the, you know and the clubbing scene and everything else that took place at the time. You told Mania, so uh, is what you say. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then you left and went home. Home being Jamaica. Tell us about the years since. So yes, I left and went back home to Jamaica. Um, my father has been in, in politics for years in Jamaica, and he. They had a general election coming up and they needed help. So I went back um, with my brother who was also there as well. I did a short stint in Toronto for like a year and um, soon packed up and went back to Jamaica. And then when I got back to Jamaica, I got involved in doing jingles for radio and television because I really had some, you know, little pieces of studio equipment, which I brought back down with me. And, you know, friends of mine were saying, oh, can you do jingles? And I was like, well, I'm not really too sure. And I tried and I started doing that. So I was doing that for a living for a minute. Small studio running jingles. Um, had an eye on music production. I had friends of mine that were involved with radio and clubbing at the time. But I thought to myself, you know what, I've done so much of that in Montreal. And I don't even think I really want to pursue another radio career or another, you know, club DJ career. I was mm -hmm. trying to kind of... Do something a bit different. So I started doing that and started producing and doing jingles. I had a small studio. And then that led me to start working with sound systems mm -hmm. in Jamaica. And my brother was a part of some, my brother Zachary he was a part of sound systems as well. So we're talking, you know, Renaissance, Disco and Syndicate and Travelers, Stone Love, Adonai Sound System. Those are the popular ones back in the day. And, um, yeah, we, um, Started doing, you know, dub plates at the studio and started meeting artists. And then the more that I met the artists and I decided, you know what, maybe I could try and do some production work. You know, when I was here, I was doing production work as well, but it was hip hop. Went back home and started doing dancehall. And in doing the dancehall production and trying to, you know, get stuff put out there and get people to know me, you know, you meet a lot of young and upcoming artists because the older guys, you know, you're not anybody for them to really record with. So we had a big focus on new talent. And out of that bunch of new talent, we had quite a few discoveries. Mr. Vegas, Sean Paul, um, Lexus, all those guys at the air were young, young artists that nobody was really paying attention to. So a lot of them passed through my hands. Assassin, Agent Sasko, mm -hmm. used to come and record in his school uniform directly from school. You know, so. So now, if for the older people and the very, very young people who are now discovering some of the music that was were a big part of our lives. Call name. Which ones did you massage, touch, produce? So I produced Who Am I by Beanie Man. Sim Simo. Yeah. That was a rec my record. Mr. Vegas's first record, um, Nike Air. Mm -hmm. um, early records from Lexus, early, as I said, Agent Sasko Assassin, early Vibes Cartel and Bounty Killer combination. Wow. Um, 
What else? Devon Tentanta Metro. Yes. Give it to her. Um, those are my productions. And then the Sean Paul work kind of really took it over and took me into management and outside of the production sphere. And then you just took off. Yes. Yeah, so the Sean thing was, was really that kind of set the pace then for my career. Then you stopped, fell in love, got married, became a different Jeremy. <laughs> well, it wasn't. The fell in love, got married part didn't come quite then. So <laughs> we had a nice run of, you know, hanging out with the guys and touring with Sean and doing yeah. the whole sort of circuit and, and building that career and building myself too as well as, a, as I'm an artist manager and as a producer. You know what I mean? Now, people revere you still as a god here in Montreal. Uh, amongst our generation, I feel I could say our generally generation, considering I'm ten seconds older than you, <laughs> uh, and that's because of the celebrity status. Do you wear that well, or do you? Get no, it? I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I still, to me, it's still. You know, a behind this kind of scenes approach and a real love and a passion for it is where I get it. The celebrity part of it is like, you know, for the artists and the people who are touring and that's how I see it anyway. You know what I mean? I still have, well, up to a time I had turntables, I have CD players in my studio now at home. I still was DJing at clubs up until last year. You know what I mean? I was DJing in Miami three, four years ago at like Miami Music Week and on the beach and stuff and... Albeit not reggae or dancehall or West Indian music, you know, but other types of music. So for me, it has never really been about that. In many ways, Montreal and CKUT is very much responsible for the transition because I came up here to just to go to school to do a chemical engineering degree at McGill, met my DJ partner, Dave Wexler. Big up to Dave. He's back in New York. Yeah. Any of the older heads might remember. DJ, yeah. DJ Genius and a Prophet, right? So, yeah, and it was it was the fact that there was a CKUT that gave us an opportunity to get involved in the music industry. You know what I mean? So our entry point was like, let's get a radio show on CKUT, and it kind of started from there. So without the, the learned experience of being at the station, my interest for music might not have peaked. At the same at, you know, Exactly, in the same kind of fashion. Now, we're, we're talking earlier, and we're talking about the digital era. And so you pretty much uh, helped shape some of that in the reggae industry. Mm-hmm. Looking back now, how would you define the music coming out of Jamaica now? So the interesting thing about the music coming out of Jamaica, obviously when the digital era was you know ushered in. So we'll talk about digital recording and MP3s and email. Let's start there. Yeah. That we'll define as a digital era. What it did was allow kids from all walks now to be able to make and produce and release music, right? So the traditional Jamaican model would have been the producer with a big recording studio with a two-track tape, and you have to stand up outside the gate and hope to be recorded. And it was a it was a, a you know a heavy man business. You had to be you know, guy with a whole of money and with connections. Money, and long. Yeah, man, it was that type of thing. That changed with the whole advent, as I said, of, 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 of that digital era. So it brought a lot of people into focus. People like myself, for example, who came back, went back and built a small studio. And I had like probably the first, what they call a DAW system nowadays, right? Digital mm-hmm. audio workstation to record on. Everybody else was still using tape and, and, and the big mixing boards. And so... With the advent of the technology now, as I said, more younger people are involved. And so it sort of explodes in terms of the, the output that you can have and from which parts of the society you can have. So it's no longer just the guy from downtown or the gangster guy or the guy from, you know what I mean? It can just be the little kid uptown or whoever that's making the beats. 
The good and the bad to it, the good is that more people can make more music. The bad is that there's less trained people making yeah. music. So you end up with a lot of music which not recorded properly, don't really sound good, not really musical. You know, bad use of auto-tune, it hurts the, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of technical things and But and does it even matter? Things. Because I find, I find Jamaica more urban than North America. Uh, they're more celebrity conscious mm-hmm. or is that just me or maybe because I'm not hanging around as many No, I kids. think it's easier for them to acquire a celebrity status. It's a smaller, yeah. you know, pool to focus on. You know what I mean? And they have taken advantage of, of what social media brings as mm-hmm. well. So people have become celebrities in Jamaican music or Jamaican entertainment um, just for their, their personality and their posts and themselves being out there. and Can I cross? Yeah, Can I cross? exactly. Guys like that, you know what I mean? Or people that kind of become artists and they weren't never really artists. They were just celebrities in the dance and they post stuff and then they start to, you know, talk on a few records and... And they get a following. Yeah, and they get a following and it continues. That's what I'm saying? So it's, it's sort of, it's in a strange place, I think. I had a discussion with some older producer friends of mine. Recently, we're talking about, like, you know, definition of regular dancer, like the musical definition. Mm-hmm. And we had a hard time pinning it down because we're just like, a lot of this music that we're hearing now, uh, these kids call reggae, to us doesn't sound like reggae. Mm-hmm. Me too. You know I saying? hear it. I hear a lot of it. And it's... It's Jamaican artists. And I'm not saying the songs are the bad. The language and the It's content. not reggae to us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think. And there's a lot of electronica in it yeah. and hip well everything is fusion now right right exactly and that's a comment I guess isn't that what we kind of fought for all of we is one out of many I, I, one nation I, I think stuff. so but I think what happens is that when you when you start to fusion too much with everything you get you tend to lose identity a lot you know what I'm saying I think you know hip hop has managed to fuse with other things but you can still know hip hop is hip hop or it can split off and become trap and hip hop but there's mm-hmm. still Lines which can identify them. Um, you know what I mean? And, and same thing with other genres of music. In that reggae space right now, you'll hear a song that, you know, kind of sounds like a hip-hop kind of beat, but it's really a dancehall singer. It can't qualify as a hip-hop record, but then again, it doesn't sound like what we know as dancehall. And soca you, mix up in there now. Right, and the soca thing. explosion of carnival. Yeah, so. And I, Jamaica, actually, for many people, being one of, you know, it can't be Trinidadian right. um, carnival, but... As a destination, urban time or experience and engagement, mm. it's up there on many world travelers. Mark and then all of the artists, dancehall artists are now putting out a soca tune, right? Exactly. So and the soca producers are using dancehall influenced tracks. A lot of the soca artists are performing more like dancehall artists as yeah, well in terms exactly. of their delivery. You know what I mean? And it's even for in the soccer field, St. Vincent, St. Kitts. I mean, these places are blowing up with their own artists exactly. and producers. So it's not just about Trinidad anymore or just about Barbados anymore. And or, Jamaica. And Jamaica. The top three that everybody, the brand name islands from long time. Yeah, yeah. No, no disrespect other islands. <laughs> Jamaica's funny. We have carnival, like carnival just passed. Our mm-hmm. carnival's getting bigger. Yes. But... We play a lot of dancehall music. At, so you'll go, it looks like kind of, you see photos. If you yes. go, they're playing dancehall. Yeah, exactly. That's what they're playing in the streets. You know what I mean? So it's funny where the, where the, where the mix comes. So I think all that was important. I have to remember that when I wanted to be in the music industry, pe- persons older than me in the business looked at us and said, what are you doing? That can't work. Mm. You understand? That'll never work. That song can't work. That doesn't work that way. You can't be from that background under this kind of music, etc. And now et cetera. kids are doing it and saying, watch yeah. me make it work. Right. 
You know exactly. what I'm saying? So for us to sit here and be like, well, the music has changed. No, it's not the same. Well, it, is, <laughs> it would change. So I think it's about kind of embracing the change as it goes along and, you know, just using your own filters, depending on who you are, to figure out what you like and what you don't like. I think right. that's all you can Two really questions like. before I let you go. Uh, Jeremy now is also an educator at UWE. <laughs> Tell me about that and what that means and where your headspace is now. So the funny thing is I was interviewed many years ago for a colleague of mine who is a lecturer at the University of West Indies. Um, his name is Ray Hitchens. He's actually used to be a musician. He used to tour with uh, uh, Dennis Brown. He's a guitarist. You know what I mean? All kind of reggae famous people back in the day. And he is now working at the University of West Indies. He was doing a book for a PhD, which he was doing in music, in ethnomusicology, talking about the history of recording studios in Jamaica and Cox and Dodd and Studio One and RGR Radio and mm -hmm. all this stuff, interviewed me because of my contribution to the ushering in a digital era. So a few years ago, he contacted me, says, listen, come and do a guest lecture at my class up at the school and talk to the kids about, you know, what you've done in the past or something. So I went to the guest lecture. And then I used to get calls to the other guest lectures. So, you know, when they'd have other, you know, music-related things in Jamaica, you know, copyright things, whatever, yeah. you know, the Jamaica School of Music, Edna Manley College is called now. I'd go there and do more lectures. Then I, got, I went to Trebass here in Montreal, yes. as people know. Trebass in Toronto asked me to come and give a speech at their thing. So I had kind of sort of gotten this groove of doing speaker circuit, speaker, yeah, circuit lecture things. A friend of mine at Miami Dade College, his name is Dwayne Summers. He's a student engineer down there. He used to be on the road with Shaggy and Sean Paul. Mm -hmm. So he transitioned into academia. He's like, yo, come and speak at Miami Dade College. So doing that, and then the guest lecturing came up, and then I was pushed, and I said, listen, why don't you come here and start you know, lecturing a few courses? Because we're trying to develop this department that we have here with the culture and the music together. And we need people who are... Um, experts in the field to come and impart the knowledge on the kids. Not just the book academia people that can read books about reggae music and come talk about it. They want the people who have actually been in it. So that kind of set me on this path now of taking up this opportunity now to lecture up at the university. Now, I know everything in my head and I, I can speak forever, but Teaching it and just talking to is one thing. Having to teach it and grade students. And I remember. That. I think I spoke to you two or three days before you were to do the first one right. when I was in Jamaica. And you sort of was like, okay. Yeah, different, different, different kind of business when you start to do it that and way. And now having done a couple of them, who is Jeremy Harding now? So in a few years of doing that now, I've been encouraged to say, listen, why don't you actually go and do a PhD in something with cultural studies because they would like to have more persons, as I said, with a practical background to be able to carry the, 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 the torch of academia forward within the system by whatever contribution, whether you teach there for a few years or, or you understand or you end up working in the departments in the school or whatever, and you could still travel and do all the same kind of things that you have been doing. But I think they want, they want keepers of knowledge, basically. I'm not saying I'm the only guy. There's lots of people from my era that know everything and more about reggae music and industry, the business, but it's just trying to find a person that knows it and then can actually distill it into an academic framework. I think that's well, the trick. You ain't no lightweight because yeah, you were there and right. carved part of it. So right. own it, claim it, then teach it. Yeah, no, yeah. so? Exactly. No, so so it, it's, it's interesting. And I think the. the um, as I said, it's about like having, as we were just talking about it a while ago, if there's no academic, if you're 
came to any institution to learn about Jamaican music. All of the research and the books stop somewhere around in the late 80s. And that's it. It's quite frightening to think about. There's no documentation of um, Dave and Tony um, Kelly in the 90s and Donovan Germain, early Buja Bantan, mm-hmm. Shaggy Dem, Sean, really. Like, there's nothing written down Marian about these people. Hall. Yes. And Lady Anne and just everybody. All of those uh, artists come up. So sugar. so it's interesting times and I'm I'm kinda looking into it to see, you know, if I can and venture down that path and then who who knows that I can maybe come back and next time I come back I can come to colleges here in Montreal and be like, Hi guys, I used to live here, but today I'm gonna lecture to you about oh, yeah. the origins of Jamaican you music. Lecture you know? at Mikhail. Oh, I'll be yeah. in the classroom <laughs> with a big bow in my head. <laughs> yeah, that would I be I think fantastic. we are the generation where our parents kind of kind of encouraged but also discouraged us mm-hmm. from this reggae music nonsense. Yeah. Um, and we've made the arts our home and we find a way to live by it and excelled in some areas right. in it. So we have done enough body of work where we can look back right. and either go, I have far to go, or, yeah, I've made a mark. Right. What would you tell today's parents with the budding young artist, musician in their home, particularly Caribbean parents who might still only be preaching doctor, lawyer, teacher, nurse? I would tell them that the, the, the categorization of persons in the music industry has expanded significantly due to technology, due to the times we live in. So it's no longer just about, oh, mommy, I want to go play bass and sing in a reggae band and go on tour. You know what I mean? There's a lot more access to the entertainment industry. There's media, there's you know, streaming, there's digital marketing, there's a lot of things which are related to the music industry, which even as we say it, they sound more corporate. Mm-hmm. Most of the practitioners are actually still coming from a practical background. There are lots of kids in there who are musicians themselves. One of the guys who is a lecturer at this university in the UK, that has, he says, oh, I'm, I'm a musician. I still tour. I said, what? He's like, yeah, you know, I play this. I do my thing. So a lot of practitioners in it still have found a way to either be on the corporate side or in the academic space or whatever. So it's not so much like, as I said, we're just going to go sing in a reggae band. Or so and make beats all day. Ganja. <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm saying? You look at the ganja thing. Cannabis is legal. Everybody in Jamaica is getting a license to grow and export it. It's a massive business. So, so this Could is you no longer coming back here to Canada and finding out say it's legal. Yes. What was your thoughts on that when you heard? You know what? I know this has always been a very progressive space. So I really was not that surprised. It's funny enough. Jamaica. It's been actually taking a longer time. They kind of, you know, they've decriminalized yes. it. It's not legal. You know what I'm saying? And you still the like, world has gone past them. Yeah. Cannabis oil is, is helping all sorts right. of fifth nations economy. And we still, anyway, that's the next <laughs> interview. My love, thank you. And of course, thank you for coming home. We'll give you the oh, tour sure. when we come out. Definitely. Uh, we still kind of cleanish. All right. <laughs> it's great to be back. Thanks for having me, Pat. Okay.